it's always uh, an honor for me to have my daughter in the house. Uh, she's getting ready to go to college. Go on, stand up, Adia. Let them see you. Yeah. Go ahead. Give her a hand. Thank you. So I'm up. I'm uh, I'm in the same place that you all are in. First of all, I, w I want to uh, welcome all of you to our 15th uh, annual How to Pay f for College Seminar. And um, I want to first of all take a moment to thank Dr. Carla Hayden, the CEO of Enid Pratt Free Library, who has graciously hosted us for so many years. And she is, um, this library system, a lot, a lot of people don't realize it, is one of the best, if not the best, in the country. Uh, we probably have more computers, more services, all kinds of wonderful things, and the same things that you would pay a lot of money at the Smithsonian for come to this library for free. A lot of people, uh, when they think about the culture of a city, they think about the arts, they think about the football team, baseball team, but ladies and gentlemen, if we did not have Enid Pratt Free Library, we'd have to invent it. And so I want you, and the staff works very hard with us. We do a lot of programs here, and they have been so helpful to us. And then the thing that's nice about this branch is centralized so that people can easily get to it by public transportation or what have you. And so would you give the staff, uh, and to Ms. Teresa Edmonds, uh, who is the person that we work directly with. Is, is Teresa here? Is she? Okay, she's around. But give them a hand, please. We do these seminars every year because we are concerned about the fact that so many young people do everything they're supposed to do, parents. And they avoid peer pressure. They get good grades. They work very hard. And then when it comes time for them to go to college, a lot of times they don't have the money. That is ridiculous in a country where we spend billions upon billions, if not trillions, to kill people and build people's roads and schools in Afghanistan, in Iraq, but when it comes to our own children, too often they don't get what they are due. So what we try to do here is try to figure out ways to empower young people and empower parents. One of the things that we realize is that there are a lot of opportunities out here for scholarships, and, and, um, and you're going to hear about some of them tonight. And so often, we don't take the time to apply for some of these opportunities because we don't know about them. And so we, we have a scholarship book uh, that you should have in your bag. Where's my stamp? Nobody's in there outside, I guess. Uh, they, um, you didn't have one? Uh, all these other people got shopping bags. You must, y'all must have missed out. Uh, wait a minute, hold on. Can you see if I got a staff person out there? Well, let's let's do it like we do in ch in church. If you don't have a bag, just raise your hand. Let me see how many people. Oh my goodness. Yeah, let's see. Um, let me see. Let me see. Was uh, uh, Felicia? A lot of these people don't have bags. Did you run out or what? What happened? Uh, but you have them. Oh, good, good. Okay, that's good. I was getting worried. Um, because we usually have more than enough. There's all kinds of stuff in that bag. 
So don't leave without the bag. And if you can't find a bag, you must make sure you come and see me and I'll create one for you because they, my staff spends a lot of time putting these, this stuff together. This is not easy. Um, so, but there's a scholarship booklet in there that we have created over the years, over 15 years with a lot of good information about good, good information. So anyway, what we try, there's, there, I'm going to be having, I'm going I'm to introduce our panel in a minute, but I'm going to have commentary throughout, uh, what we, you know, our, our um, event tonight. And a lot of it is based upon, um, our experience in doing this and dealing with parents. And before I introduce my panel, I'm gonna give you my first little thing that we have learned. A lot of times what happens is that young people uh, have desires to go to certain schools and, and, and that's all well and good. And so often the parents cannot afford the school. We see a lot of that. In other words, the, the young person go off to school but then the parents can't afford it. And they come, and the, and the young people come back. They may do a year at that school, the very expensive school. And then they come back and they end up at Morgan or the University of Maryland or Howard Community College or somewhere local. And so when we're looking at scholarships, we need to be looking beyond the first year. There are a lot of schools that'll get you in there for the first year and give you scholarships for the first and second year. And then you're kind of on your own. So I just want you to keep that tidbit of information uh, in, in, you know, on your mind. Another thing that happens is that a lot of parents, and we see a lot of this, a lot of young people are going into debt big time. I mean, big, big time. And, and when they come out of school, they are saddled with debt. We see a lot of that with the young people that come to work for us in Washington. They have so much debt, they can hardly move. So if they want to buy a house in five to 10 years after they get out of school, they got too much debt. Or they want to buy a decent car, a lot of things. They, they, they're saddled with debt. And so what you want to try to do is try to figure out ways that you can get as many grant opportunities as possible and try to get as many scholarships as possible. Some scholarships, of course, are based on need. Other ones are based on um, uh, merit. So you want to try to figure out, you know, uh, ways that you can get some scholarship money. A lot, of, and a lot of people don't real. And this is my final little tidbit, and I'll come back later. But uh, when putting, when trying to have get a scholarship, I mean, putting together the money for sending a, a young person to school. A lot of times you have to paste money together. In other words, you get some from over here, some from over there, some from grandma, whatever, and put it together so that you can create what you need. Because um, you may not be able to get it all from one source. Uh, some people, there are various organizations that give book scholarships. Uh, somebody was telling me, I thought books were like $500, but they tell me you can spend how much? Huh? Up here, they're telling me 500 on one book. When I went to school, you could buy $500 and get you through, get you through a year. No, I'm serious. So, you know, be, be conscious of that and also be conscious of something else. And that is that when, whenever you're sending your child away to school, 
always keep in mind that you want them to come home. And that's and you need to calculate that in whatever you're doing because it costs money to come home. So keep all of those things in mind. I just want you all to think about it. And so here we go. Miss Patricia Scott is the assistant vice president of financial aid with the University of Maryland at Baltimore. Raise your hand, Miss Miss Scott. Um, Miss Elizabeth Urbanski is the director of the Maryland Higher Education Commission. Miss Roberta Goldman is the program director of the Central Scholarship Bureau. Now, let, I want you to make sure you look her in the eye. Look at her. Raise your hand. Make sure you get a good look at her now. We're going to try to, try to hold her up so she can't leave. So you all talk. I'm not, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why I point her out. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to say very carefully. Maryland has scholarships. I mean, there's money in for scholarships. Am I right? Are you, they still got okay. And let me tell you, you, you got to really understand what happens. You all pay taxes, and and you all have sent a lot of kids to to school, to college. When you didn't even when you were, when your child was a little thing, you were sending people to college through your taxes. Now it's your child's turn. So you got to take advantage of those opportunities. People say, I'm not going to, I don't want to come out. You better apply. That's your money. No, I'm serious. And I, I get, I, and I want people to understand. In other words, we have a scholarship bureau that has scholarships. Listen to what she says very carefully and take, this is your turn because your child right now is where other children have been and where other children are going to be after your child has graduated and you're going to still be paying. So you might as well get yours for your child, this is your window right here, right now. So make sure you take advantage of that. And by the way, there is a sheet in there, in the in the in the in the, in the uh, shopping bag, with the all the list of our panelists, their phone numbers, and their email addresses. Yes, yes, yes. This lady who's saying yes over here is um, Felicia Lane. She's uh, from my office, and she's the one who put all of this together. Give her a hand, please. Now, um, Mr. Troy Quinn is the Associate Director of Admissions for Morgan State. We'll have, you know, he's going to talk about what colleges are looking for and um, what, what's expected, because a lot of parents and young people don't know. Ms. Julie Knox-Brown is the Assistant Director of Advising for Howard Community College. She's going to talk about um, our community college, college system. A lot of people don't realize it, but Howard Community College is one of the best in the country. And a huge percentage of young people uh, in Howard County come out. And a lot of people don't know it. I, re I represent 70% of Howard County. Um, but a, a huge percentage of the kids come out of college, uh, the high school and go to the community college. And, it's, and for some, young, some people, that's a good route for several reasons. One, it's cheaper, a lot cheaper. Two. It, it, they can go and maybe, you know, and they may need some support to be the best that they can be. And so they can spend two years there and then go on to a four-year college and do the other two years. And there's all kinds of agreements, I think, she'll tell you, between our community college system and, and four-year colleges. And so um, 
and it, there's a way that you can determine which credits will be transferable so you can make sure you get credit for them when they go to the four-year college. And then finally, we'll have Mr. Marlon Ritchie, uh, who is director of Maryland Learning Center. He's going to talk about SAT preparation and uh, scoring, uh, uh, you know, how to score uh, fairly well on those SAT exams. All right, so we're going to get started with our panelists. The reason, like I said, I wanted to start a little bit early so we could get through and have you ask your questions. And so what we're going to do is this. We're going to have, we're going to go through all our panelists, and uh, then what we'll do is you will be able to ask questions. So if you have questions as the panelists are doing their thing, please write them down. Understand that there is no stupid question. There's no such thing. And I, I always tell people that the thing that bothers me so much about these kind of situations is that after the after the, the show is over, the question and answer period is over, it happens every time some people come up to me and say, uh, Ms. Cummings, can you answer this for me? Um, you know, I didn't ask it because I thought it was a stupid question. And then I tell them that, and most of them, I can't answer it because I don't know. But they didn't answer it, they didn't ask it when it needed to be asked. So please don't be shy. These folks are used to questions. They want to answer your questions. They want you to leave here empowered with information. Ms. Patricia Scott, again, the uh, Vice Assistant Vice President of Financial Aid with the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Good evening. I'd first like to really express my thanks to Congressman Cummings for not just holding this event, but recently when we in financial aid were afraid of what was going to happen to the Pell Grant program, Congressman Cummings and his colleagues made certain that that program would be available for a very long time. So if you would join me in giving him a round of applause for that. Now we talked about the bag that you have and not that I want you to stop to, think, to take things out, but everything that I'm going to talk about briefly, you will have the same information in your bag. The first thing is going to be funding your education beyond high school. This is going to give you all of the numbers and give you the eligibility requirements for federal aid. Also in your booklet, you will see the college preparation checklist even if you are not a high school senior or if you're beyond a high school senior, there'll be a checklist here for you. The checklist starts as early as elementary school, so if you wanted to find out what was going on or if you have a ninth or 10th grader and you're trying to estimate what type of federal aid they may be eligible to receive, you can find the information in the checklist. But now to kind of focus on our high school seniors. What you are going to want to do right now is to apply for your federal PIN number. All colleges and universities will require you to complete the free application for federal student aid beginning January 1st of 2012 to be considered for federal aid for the 2012-2013 year. In this age of electronics, you're going to need this PIN number in order to sign your free application for federal student aid. So students and parents should log on to the PIN website anytime between now and January 1st to make certain that you secure your PIN number. Once you get a PIN, you don't have to get a new one every year. That's going to be the same number that you're going to use each time that you complete the free application for federal student aid. 
Now, completing this form, it's free. Never pay anybody to complete the free application for federal student aid, which is why you're going to use either the checklist book or the funding your education book, which is going to give you the link to the FAFSA website. You're going to complete this free application. You're going to include income and asset information because you want to have a school to determine if you're eligible for the federal Pell Grant. That Pell Grant would range anywhere from $609 a year to $5,550 a year. You're also going to use this form to see if you're eligible for the Federal Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grant, where you can receive anywhere from $100 to $4,000. So here's a scenario that I want to use for you. This form also will determine your eligibility for the Federal Perkins Loan, where you could borrow at a 5% interest rate up to $5,500, and you could be considered for the Federal Direct Stafford Loan, where for the 2012 year, the interest rate on that loan would be 6.8%, but you could borrow up to $3,500. So you're going to do this form. It's going to go out to all of the schools that you would like for it to go out to. And in calculating your costs, this is something that you may want to think about number-wise, because I strongly encourage you to look at all of the numbers. Federal grants, the maximum that you could get combining the Pell and the SEOG, that would be $9,550 of free money. But if you don't complete the free application for federal student aid, you cannot be considered for those funds. And if your student has to borrow money and they receive the Perkins and the Stafford loan, that's another $9,000, but those are low interest rate loans. So if we add those two together, you're almost up to $18,550 just in federal aid in order to help you finance your education. So financial aid people, sometimes people say that we're not the nicest people, but I beg to differ. So when it's January 1st and you're completing that free application for federal student aid and you have questions, please contact, I would say, you can contact my office or any local financial aid office because what we want you to do is to complete the form correctly so that this federal aid that is an entitlement, you would be able to receive it and your dreams of completing an undergraduate education would be more attainable for you. Thank you. Let me thank you very much. One of the things I wanted to let you know is that um, in Congress, we, uh, uh, Ms. Scott was talking about um, some things that we did with regard to Pell Grant, but we passed the Student Aid and Fiscal Responsibility Act, and any parents who have uh, filled out the FAFSA FAS, form know that it is a nightmare. We would have parents that came in, would come in and talk to us, and they said they feel like, felt like they had to get three lawyers to help them. Um, it was just, they just felt so upset about it. And so the Congress, being sensitive to that, uh, passed and President Obama signed a, uh, this act that, and it does several things. things. It simplifies the federal student aid online application, uh, allowing students and families to access relevant tax information directly from the Internal Revenue Service and allowing students and families to apply for federal aid using the information on their tax returns. Believe it or not, that'll make, that makes it a lot easier, and I'm sure uh, there will be folks who can address your issues with regard to that. It's a very important form. Ms. Elizabeth Urbanski, Director of the Maryland Higher Education Commission.
Thank you, Congressman. Good evening. Um, as was said, I work for the Maryland Higher Education Commission Office of Student Financial Assistance. We are a state agency that offers grants and scholarships to Maryland residents attending Maryland institutions, two-year or four-year, public or private. So as the Congressman said earlier, yes, you have been paying your tax dollars over the years to the state, and now it's your turn to apply for funding from the state. We offer a multitude of programs, um, which can be confusing because there are so many programs, but our programs are based on financial need or career occupational choice, legislative scholarships from your state senator and state delegates, as well as scholarship programs for unique situations, such as children of parents who served in Afghanistan or Iraq. We do have some brochures. You should have one that's titled College 411 in your bag. It is a listing of all of the programs that we offer, uh, the criteria for eligibility, as well as application deadlines. There are also um, more program brochures that we have downstairs. We are in booth 116 on the first floor, kind of facing the back part of the library. And there are brochures that offer more detailed information on some of our largest programs. I would like to make you aware of a few of our programs and some of the important aspects behind what we have to offer. For our largest program, it is called the Educational Assistance Grant. We give upwards of $55, $60 million to Maryland residents each year to attend Maryland colleges and universities. The awards range from $400 to $3,000 per year, and it is based on financial need. As Ms. Scott indicated, you need to file the FAFSA to be considered for federal aid, but you also need to file the FAFSA to be considered for this state scholarship, as well as several others. You need to make sure that you get in touch with each of the colleges that you're applying to to ensure that you know what their financial aid deadlines are, but you also need to know ours. For our need-based programs, our deadline is March 1st. So that means you want to make sure that you fill out the FAFSA in January or February. Even if you're estimating the information on it, you want to make a deadline. Because if you miss a deadline, you could miss out on several thousand dollars worth of funding. And we do have very large waiting lists each year due to the number of applicants uh, that have increased over the number of years. You want to make sure when you fill out your FAFSA that you do not list a PO box as your permanent address or that if you do, because that is where you need to get your mail, that you let us know later on what your true street address is because it's the only way that we know that you are truly a Maryland resident and we want to make sure that we consider all students for the aid for which they might be eligible. We also have some other programs, one of the larger ones called the Guaranteed Access Grant. The Guaranteed Access Grant is for very needy students who have very low income in their families. There is a separate application that is required and you would want to apply for that, preferably by March 1st, but we do allow late applications. But you must also do the FAFSA. So be sure, again, that you realize that in some cases there are separate applications that are required and that there are separate deadlines. We do, through our website, have access to our Maryland College Aid Processing System, or MDCAPS, as we refer to it, where you can apply online, you can check the application status, see what documents you might need to turn in, accept an award if you are offered an award, and then track the status of your award. So keep that in mind when you are applying for the state scholarships. 
We do have, as I said, smaller programs with different application deadlines, so be sure to refer to the 411 brochure to know what those deadlines are. And contact your state senator or your state delegates. You have one senator and three delegates in your district. And be sure to apply for those awards in January and February so that you can be considered for a scholarship. They will award those funds themselves and they may have different deadlines. It is possible to receive many of these awards together. Awards range from $200 to $15,000 a year, dependent upon the type of award and your eligibility criteria, whether you be full-time or part-time, um, whether you're going to a community college or a four-year institution. So it is possible, between the federal aid that Ms. Scott spoke about and aid from the Maryland Higher Education Commission, that you could cover the cost of your attendance at a public institution or at least defray the cost of a significant portion of it at a private institution. Um, one other thing that I would like to mention is that most of our awards are renewable if you meet the criteria and if required meet application filing deadlines each year. So be sure that you know the, the requirements of each program and what not is required of you just now when you're applying but each year in order to maintain the award. Um, we do have our web address on the back of each of the brochures. We also have our 800 number, so please feel free to call us or you can call our office and ask for me directly and I would be happy to speak to you about any of our programs and any application questions that you have. Thank you. You know, as I was listening to, thank you, Ms. Urbanski. As I was listening to Ms. Urbanski, I was sitting here, um, saying to myself, I was trying to put myself where you are, and I always try to think like my audience thinks. And I was saying to myself, if I was sitting here and I'm hearing all this information, boy, this is a lot of information. How am I gonna get through this? Um, because I, I'm, I'm familiar with it, uh, because we've done this so many times, it's not that complicated, but it sounds like a lot, but you gotta take it piece by piece. But I really want you to, to, to go back to what I said a few minutes ago. We must apply for these scholarships. I'm serious. Because it's your money. And, and let me tell you why I'm saying this. Because a lot of times, I'll give you a perfect example. We also, we have a table dealing with the military academies too. Okay. We also give, uh, we also recommend people for the military academies. And what we find is that in our district, uh, while we start working with kids in the ninth grade and trying to push and push and push, and we do fairly well, there are a lot of opportunities with military scholarships, which, by the way, pay all expenses, and then you you know you owe the military uh, uh, what six years or something like that, and then but they also pay you to go to school. But let me just tell you where I'm going with this. Each member of Congress gets a certain amount of recommendations. If we don't recommend them because we can't find them qualified or they don't apply, guess what? They'll send them to Iowa. And the Iowa people get your scholarship money. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's why, and so now I'm bringing it closer to home for these, these, this money here. A lot of times when we would, we would look at the money that the 7th Congressional District folk apply for, we, we, when I, this was when I first came in, we realized that we were not applying for the money. We weren't even applying for it. So you know where your money went? 
to somebody in Towson. No, I'm serious, or someplace else. We have to apply. And if you can't remember the things that are said here, um, that's what uh, Felicia does all day. She tries to help people get through all of this. So if you have any questions, she can at least direct you to who you need to talk to. So I don't want you to feel there, sit there saying, oh, it's so much, I, you know, I'm just not going to be bothered with it. Don't don't take that attitude. I saw a few people, you know, and I know how it is. I know you're dealing with a lot of information. I just wanted to say that because I hate to see that money. You're, you, like I said, your window go by and then you're scraping, trying to get dollars from everywhere, scraping. Or your child doesn't even get a chance to go to school and the money is sitting there and we haven't even applied, haven't even applied for it. The other thing is the dates. These they, they, they say it in a real nice way, but they're serious about these dates. They are serious. They'll tell you. They, they are serious. You miss them deadlines. That's why we try to do this as early as we do. So that everybody have a plenty of notice about this October. So they have plenty of time to get this stuff together. So I know you all feel like I'm just kind of preaching. I'm not. I just want to make sure we take advantage of it. Mr. Ro yes. Did somebody say something? Oh, okay. Roberta Goldman is the program director of the Central Scholarship Bureau. Thank you. Good evening, everybody, and uh, thank you, Congressman, for hosting this event every year. So I'm here to tell you a little bit about private scholarships. Private scholarships, that's not the federal money, not the state awards, and it's not the money that you might get directly from the institution, from the college or university they're attending. It's private money from the community. It might be from businesses in your community, or it may, might be from nonprofit organizations like Central Scholarship Bureau. Um, businesses all over the place that you might not think of. Coca-Cola, Shoe City, um, Rotary Clubs, churches are some of the nonprofit organizations that you can look at. For example, CSB, we administer almost 40 different scholarship programs and an interest-free loan program. Um, we awarded just over a million dollars this year to about 250 students. We help students over the whole state of Maryland, but 36% of our recipients this year were from Baltimore City, and that's about 90 students. So uh, 90 of our scholarships went to you know students like you. So private scholarships, uh, yes, they're out there. Um, there's not really a magic way to get one scholarship to pay for college. They do take work to find, and they do take work to apply for. Um, I've spoken to a lot of students. I've heard some say, we didn't apply because we knew, I knew I wouldn't get the scholarship. I knew if I apply, I would get turned down. Or, you know what, I, it was too much work to write an essay. Um, what I'm gonna tell you is don't select yourself out. You know, let us do that. Don't, don't select yourself out before you even start. If you think you meet the criteria and you have a shot, apply. It's, you don't know who's going to impress a selection committee. You know, sometimes it's a numbers game. You don't know what in your story is going to Im impress someone. And all of this money is going to be given away. We gave away all our money last year, over a million dollars. So it may as well go to one of you. Okay. Um, some organizations like CSP help you by having one common application for all of our programs. So if you go to our website, you fill out one application, you will be considered for all of our scholarship programs. 
Okay. Um, our awards range from about $1,000 up to $10,000. Some private scholarships can be smaller. I would advise you, don't dismiss the small scholarships, the ones from your church or the club that are four or $500 because they can add up. You get two or three of those, you've paid for your books for the year. And they're also sometimes a lot easier to win than the big scholarships. So you see the names plastered all over the place because they don't get so many applicants. So your odds are a lot better. Uh, okay. So when? When do you apply for these scholarships? Now, I would say now, um, most applications have to be submitted um, sometime between now and the spring. Our deadline is going to be April 1st next year. Our deadline is actually one of the later ones. A lot of the ones are earlier. Um, I would say, you know, when you fill out the FAFSA, the beginning of January, make yourself a calendar of the scholarship deadlines that you find out and start to send in the applications. I always tell people when you're online filling out your FAFSA on January 1st or 2nd, just go to our website and fill out our application too and you know it's done. Um, you don't have to wait for most private scholarships until you know which school you're going to. Most don't ask you for that right away. So. Don't get delayed doing that. Um, we talked a little bit about where you're going to look, places where your parents work, Target, Shoe City, McDonald's, all these places have scholarships, places where you go to church, places where you bank. Most credit unions have scholarships. A lot of banks have scholarships. Um, again, the small ones are harder to find, but a little easier to win. Where do you find them? These days, we're electronic, so mostly on the internet. CSB, you have our, you'll have our web page in the bag of information that you have. Do not pay a fee. Don't pay someone a fee to find scholarships for you because it's all out there, online, free. Um, First Web is a good free site. Scholarships.com is a good free site that you can go to. Um, this is the time to read the bulletins that your high school counselor puts up on the notice board or sends out in the newsletters because they will include all the scholarship announcements and their deadlines in those. Local newspapers, posters up in the library. Um, CSB has scholarships at specific high schools. Uh, so that's the time to be in touch with your guidance counselor. Find out what scholarships there are targeted just to your high school. Again, that's less competitive. You're just competing against the rest of your class, not the whole state. Um, I guess you've heard a little bit about deadlines already. You're going to hear this all the time this year when you're applying for things. Deadlines. Meet the deadline. Um, Maryland State deadline is March 1st. Ours is April 1st. Keep some kind of checklist with the names of the scholarship and the deadlines on it because if you miss our deadline, you can write the most fantastic essay or be the greatest applicant, but if you miss the deadline, it won't get read. You know, it won't get looked at. Um, I suggest people keep a folder of all the information as they apply to all these things so you have it at hand. So when you suddenly see a scholarship, you're like, oh my goodness, I only have 10 days, I can't possibly get this together. You have a lot of the information together. You have a folder of recommendations. You have a copy of your transcript. You have your resume you know, either saved on your computer or printed out. Okay. Um, I know essays can be challenging. I know you guys are writing a lot of essays in your junior and senior years. You can tweak an essay. You know, if you've written a basic essay and use it for different scholarship applications, it's fine. Just one word of warning. Beware. If you do that, have someone edit it for you and read it all the way through and make sure if you talk about the scholarship that you're addressing it to the right scholarship program. So don't apply to CSB for the delegate scholarship. You know, that won't get you in. So it's, you can do that. It's a great time saver, but just edit it carefully. Um, so deadlines and directions. Follow the directions. 
okay? Complete the application exactly how it's asked for. You don't want to select yourself out by not filling in what they say, leaving out something they say. If they ask for a thousand word essay, don't write a 1500 word essay and so on. And if you're not sure, call us. We're at the other end of the email and we're at the other end of the telephone and we're there to help you because we want all the best students to apply. Um, as far as the content of an essay, share the same information with us that you're going to share with the college admissions office to convince them that what they want you as part of their freshman class. I always tell people, we don't meet you yet. We interview our finalists, but we, we don't know who you are right away. So your essay is a chance to draw a picture of yourself. Tell us what's unique about you, what's special about you. So the committee says, oh, want to meet this person. We want to see what they're really like. Um, talked about making copies of everything. Um, if it is an online application like ours is, and it has a password or a pin, please keep a note of it somewhere. When you go back in to update it, you'll need that. Because if you call us and ask us what your password is, we don't know it. Um, we can find out to you by going to our software provider and going through a process of, of getting it, but it's a lot easier if you keep track of that. And um, reapply. Reapply either way. If you get a scholarship, please be sure to reapply. Uh, CSB and most places like to support students through their whole college degree. So if you reapply, even if it's not a guaranteed award, you tend to get preference. If you didn't receive a scholarship, I would say reapply. Everything is different the next year. We have some scholarships that are only for upperclassmen. You'll be competing against a whole different group of people. You'll be almost a different person. You'll have different experience. Um, one young lady from City College applied to us as a freshman and did not get a scholarship. She applied to us as a sophomore and didn't get a scholarship. And she applied to us last year as a junior, and she got a $10,000 scholarship for that year. So if she had given up and not reapplied, she wouldn't have got that. So um, you know, contact me or anyone at our office for more information. And I um, hope to hear from you all and wish you good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I want you to listen to me carefully. I made a big mistake. Um, you know, I was so busy trying to make sure everybody got the right person. I got the wrong person. You really want to see Miss Urbanski. She's the one. I got. The, I was looking at my notes wrong. Yeah, Miss Urbanski is the one where you've got all the state scholarships. So take a good look at her. Raise your hand again. That's her. And Ms. Goldman deals with more of the private scholarships, but let's take advantage of that too because um, there, there are all kinds of scholarships. There are scholarships for sons and daughters of firemen and um, somebody who plays badminton well. And I'm serious. They'll tell you. All kinds of stuff. Somebody who's a good chess player. Stuff like that. And so, I mean, so, so please take advantage of that too. Um, another thing, I want to go back to something Ms. Urbanski said. All of us in the state of Maryland have uh, one state senator and three delegates. If you don't do anything else tomorrow, you're not, you know, even if you take your, even if you have to take your lunch hour, find out who your state senator and your delegates are. They have scholarships. I know because I used to be one. I used to be in the state legislature for 15 years. And they have, and it's one of the few states where the state delegates and the senator have scholarships to give away. And you need to contact their office. And if you can't find who they are, call my office and we can tell you. 
and give you the phone numbers. And so, and they're probably online anyway, but first you got to find out what district you're in. And then you need to find out what they are, because all of them have different kind of criteria, um, I think. I know that's the way it used to be. And, but they do have the money. And guess what? That money is going to go to somebody. It might as well be your child. So make sure you do that. Mr. Troy Quinn, Associate Director of Admissions and, uh, from Morgan State University. Ms. Quinn. Good evening. What do colleges look for? How many seniors? Seniors? 4.0s, 3.8s, right? Oh, I got a hand. Um, one thing you did hear, okay, and what you'll probably hear a lot of in this process, is deadlines. Deadlines, selection committees, the best advice I can give you is yes, GPAs, test scores, be it SATs, ACT scores, say a lot, but they do not say everything, okay? True, true yearly situation I'll share with you. We have students who applied to Morgan with, say, a 3.0, 1,000 on the SAT. Students who applied to Morgan with a 4.0, 1,400 on the SAT. Well, that 3.0 and 1,000 receive at least a partial scholarship, cover tuition and fees. And you have situations where that 4.0 and 1,400 may not receive anything. And the big difference is if you apply October 1st, there's a certain amount of money. As you are admitted, you meet those requirements, you meet those application deadlines, you are pretty much guaranteed what you qualify for. If you wait until March or April, which many students do, and then they call and say, well, they have certain requirements, they have a 4.0, 1,400, and you want to know why we can't offer anything because it's been awarded out, okay? Deadlines are very important. Make sure you send your best representative, okay? We receive 12,000 plus applications a year. Unfortunately, we don't have an interview process. So in addition to your transcript, in addition to test scores, what are you involved in in your community? What are you interested in? We have a world-renowned choir. I know most of you do wonderful songs in the shower and don't want to share that talent outside the shower. We have students who receive full scholarships who perform with Morgan's Choir. Um, the congressman mentioned many different organizations. If you're interested in music, if you're interested in English, if you're interested in building chairs, we have many departments that contact our office inquiring about students who have certain interests. And if you don't make us aware of that through your application packet, we don't have that information to share, okay? That may be $500, that may be $1,000, that could be $1,500, in addition to what you would receive through these various organizations here, okay? So yes, deadlines are very important. There's a certain amount of money out there. The earlier you apply, the more money you guarantee for yourself. 
make sure you send in, as I mentioned, your best representative. In addition to those grades and test scores, what else are you interested in? What else are you involved in? Okay, be it community organizations, your churches, any activity you're involved in allows us to screen that application and forward your information to the respective areas and could add to the access to education and finances to assist with that college process. Okay, but I'm sure we'll be around for questions and good luck to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Quinn. Ms. Now, Ms. Julie Knox-Brown, Assistant Director of Advising for Howard uh, Community College. By the way, um, I wanted to just share something with you. A lot of times, um, students, and particularly in this day and age, um, will come up to me and say, Mr. Cummings, where are the jobs going to be? They're worried, parents, that they'll go through school and may not have a job because of the economy. And I was telling, I always tell them that, um, I, I sit on something called the Joint Economic Committee where we keep tabs on exactly what's happening with the economy, the problems, where we're going and whatever. And the field that will, will is just not, the, the field that's growing jobs as opposed to losing jobs is health. Almost anything to do with health. Uh, also cybersecurity type things. Also, this whole thing of green, and that is any type of engineering, uh, jobs dealing with energy, that kind of thing, saving uh, with regard to our resources for energy, things of that nature. That's not to say other things are not going to be fine. We're going we're gonna to always need good people all over the place because, say, for example, in the federal government, we are losing so many people. So many people are now coming up for retirement. They need folk to replace them. And... Um, so even though uh, my Republican friends are trying to cut back on federal government, no matter how you look at it, people are retiring, y'all. And so we've got to have a cadre of people to come and replace them. So anyway, I just wanted to put that, that in your ear. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. And I want to thank Congressman Cummings for allowing me to be a participant in this program again. Um, why attend a community college? Now, the first thing I want you to remember as I'm speaking is the word college. That's critical. Community college, but the word college is critical. First of all, we are not in competition with four-year colleges and universities. You need to know that. We are partners. I love Troy just as much as Troy loves me. So we are collaborative. We work together. Our students attend community college so that they can transfer. I tell them we're not on the 10-year plan here. So we can transfer and move on to four-year institutions. We have open admissions at the community college, many of the community colleges in the state. And that means that your SAT score may not be a requirement for entrance into the community college. However, it does make a difference as to where your placement will be in classes such as the fundamentals, English, and math. Attending a community college is convenient. It's right in your neighborhood. All communities have them, whether it's Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Howard County, Frederick, Carroll, you name it. A community college is in your neighborhood. Classroom size. Classrooms 
are very small, a lot smaller sometimes than the four-year institutions. And many times students will attend a community college because you may not want to admit it, but sometimes there's a level of maturity that has to rise in you when you attend college. When you're in college, you need to start thinking like a young adult. You are responsible for your actions. If you go to class, that's a good thing. If you don't go to class, then there's a penalty that you'll have to pay. You won't have the knowledge and the information that you need to be successful. Community colleges also give you a chance to explore. This is a time for you to explore many different avenues and interests and areas that you may not have thought about um, earlier on. And of course, they're cost effective. Um, they are a little less pricey sometimes than the four-year institution. And there are also scholarships. Community colleges have their own pool of scholarships, as well as you listening and hearing all the information that was shared tonight. And take advantage, and I can't tell you, uh, you'll hear it again, deadlines are important. The other thing that's important in a community college is your GPA. Many of you may not have taken high school seriously, and you just did what you needed to do just to get by, just to pass, have fun, but just to get by. When you're attending college, your slate is clean. No more excuses. What you did in the past is in the past. It's over and done. You have a clean slate. You need to work diligently to keep that GPA high because scholarship money can be attached to a high GPA. And what do I mean by high? 3.0, 3.5, 3.7, 4.0. Four-year institutions in the state are getting extraordinarily competitive. So if you and I have a degree and we've attended a community college and I have a 3.2 and I've taken the same classes that you've taken and you have a 4.0, providing you've completed the information in a timely fashion and adhered to those deadlines, then it's the 4.0 student who took the exact same classes that's going to get the opportunity to transfer to that institution with funds. And four-year institutions love our students. There are scholarships that are specifically geared towards transfer students in our state. And most of the time, if you get your associate's degree, you are guaranteed admission into a four-year institution within the state system. That may be a little different for some of the limited enrollment programs at different institutions, but if you work closely with your academic advisors at the institution and your transfer counselors, they will help guide you in the process along the way. So the key word is college. Most students think that community college we're less than because we're smaller institutions. I beg to differ, I'm very excited because we hit the 10,000 student mark this fall. So we are no longer, Howard Community College is no longer a small institution, we are now mid-sized. So you need to understand that we're alive, we're out there, we're happy to help you. We want you to take advantage of the resources that are here. All of us are resources here tonight. Make sure you take advantage, and I wish you well in your future. I'll I'll, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Brown. Um, our final speaker is Mr. Marlon Ritchie.
And don't forget, right after this, we're going to have a chance to ask some questions. Uh, Director of Maryland Learning Center. Good evening, everyone. Well, I've been doing this for several years, and uh, I always come last. But I guess with coming last, I can, uh, I get to sing. I get to give you my gecko uh, impersonation. Maybe not, maybe not tonight. But thanks anyway. Um, I have two daughters, and the older one turned 25 last year. And uh, so for those of you who've got older children, who may not have started college and or may have started and want to drop out. When you turn 25, you become an independent. And the rules do change in terms of the financial aid you can get. So that's something you guys may want to keep in mind. And as the independent students, their financial aid is not based on the parental income. So uh, I found that out last year. And she is uh, at HCC. And, um, uh, Howard Community College and um, uh, first class institution. And uh, so this year she got, uh, we made sure we got the uh, FAFSA, FAFSA, right? You guys repeat after me, FAFSA. You got it now, okay. So we got it in on January 1st. Patricia's voice was in my ear on New Year's Day, get your FAFSA in, okay? So that's what I did. And she got uh, some pretty good financial aid, including work study. So there's, uh, that as well that's uh, included in your financial aid package. Well, let me move on to SAT and ACT. What's the difference? Well, over the years, things have changed, and they're pretty much at the same level. So the, uh, most colleges would accept either or the SAT or the ACT. Well, the question is, which one do you do? Do you do one? Do you do both? Or you know, which of the two do you do? Well. You know, like I said, I, I have two daughters, and uh, so for you ladies, when you want to choose a dress, right, how do you choose a dress? Try it on and see how it fits, right? That's how you choose between two dresses, okay? So the same is true for SAT and ACT. Just try them, practice on them, and see which one gives you a better result, or more precisely, which, for which one you get a better result. Some people do better with the SATs, some people do better with the ACTs, you wouldn't know unless you tried. So I'm not going to say do one or the other. It's a purely personal choice based on your actual performance on those particular tests. Now, how do you go about um, uh, prepping for these things? Now, before I say that, why make a big fuss of it? Well, obviously, you've heard that it does help in terms of getting into college. But in addition, you can get extra scholarship money in many cases, by increasing your SAT or your ACT score. So it's not just about getting in, it's about getting some cash as well, okay? And uh, I may get into a little bit of trouble here, but I wanna give some advice to the parents. You see, the thing is, the SAT, high SAT score saves you, the parents, money, right? But very often, the kids are they could care less because it's your money they're saving, not their own money. You got me? Okay. So what do you do? Well, make it a cooperative effort. So work the math out. I was going to use the word bribe, but that's a bad word. Uh, so you collaborate, okay, 
and you negotiate. Well, honey, if you save me $5,000 because of your high SAT score and get a scholarship that way, I may throw a little bit back at you in your pocket. How does that sound? Well, how much? Well, then you negotiate, okay? So there's nothing like that to uh, inspire your kids to get better SAT and ACT scores. It works, works every time, okay? Now, how do you prepare for this? Well, several ways of preparation. Well, most of you are seniors now, so you probably are done with this, or maybe not. There's still SATs in December and, and January. Nowadays, a lot of schools offer SAT prep classes as part of the curriculum. You can get uh, credit for, for those courses. Um, is that true for most schools? Yeah. So if you, hopefully you've done one of those courses, or if you haven't, just check it out. If you, There may still be time to do it. And certainly for the juniors, and if you have younger kids coming up, something to, to know for the future. So you've got the courses in school. There are commercial courses. Uh, such as you know, my company offers, and you probably know of some bigger companies. Those are pretty useful as well if you could afford them. Um, but certainly, at the very least, what you want to do is you want to get hold of the official guides to these, um, these tests. So there's an official guide to the SATs. Almost every school has them, OK, or have them. I'm sure there are many downstairs here in the library. But it's got to be the official guide, guys, not I don't want to call names, but just look for the official guide. The SAT one, I think it's uh, uh, blue. I'm kind of colorblind, but it's more like a blue-green, I guess. And the one for the ACT is red. I'm not that colorblind, but <laughs> that one's red. Um, so you can, you can buy them. They're about $20 each, cheaper on Amazon.com. But certainly the, the schools have them. The, the advising center in the most schools would have them. The libraries have them. So you want to use the official guide. Why? Because they've got real test questions. A lot of the commercial stuff out there, I mean, you pay a lot of money, but they're giving you questions they made up. So why do you want to practice on questions that somebody else made up when you've got more real test questions that you can handle? So go for the real ones. You've got those two books I mentioned, the official guides for SAT, the official guide for ACT, um, most of the, your, your, your schools and the advising office should have an extra booklet they give, for, give out for free. Those are also available in school. So you can get uh, a lot of good material to practice on. So only the real thing. As the old song said, for the older people, ain't nothing like the real thing. I'm not going to sing. Just said it, right? Okay. So uh, always use real SAT questions and real ACT questions. Now, it requires a lot of dedication. Because remember, these tests are sort of standardized. So you're not fighting against yourself, so to speak. You're competing against everybody else, which means you got to step up, OK? So nothing comes easy, certainly not with standardized tests. So you got to be consistent. you got to practice. It's practice, practice, practice. And you guys know this stuff. Who are the best athletes? Who are the best musicians? The ones who do what? Practice the most, right? The Michael Jordans, the Michael Jacksons. I mean, he was a practice fanatic, right? They both were, okay? The Tiger Woods of the world, they're practice fanatics. So practice, what's the old saying? Practice makes what? There you go. So keep practicing, keep working hard on it. Seek whatever advice you can get from your, your counselors at school 
or tutors who may be in your community who are there to, to support you, okay? So go for it. Parents, negotiate, okay? Students, step it up, practice really hard. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Give our panel a hand, please. All right, there's a mic right there and a mic right there. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? We've got mics on both sides here. No questions? Have a question. Uh, let me just say, just before we ask the questions, I want to make sure we ask questions. We and, and we don't need anybody's history. We just need questions. All right, go ahead. Is it best that the student and the parent fill out the applications together, the scholarships? We got mics here. Is it, did y'all hear what she said? Is it is it important that the student and the parents fill out the FAFSA, FAFSA, FAFSA. application together? Yes. If the student is under the age of 24, then that student would initially be considered a dependent student, which means that the student and the parent information would have to be on the free application for federal student aid, FAFSA. Okay, thank you. Yes. Can I just add one thing? Yes. I would like to say that in terms of any application, um, we also find that have your student do a lot of it as much as they can and then you have to be there to help. But this is probably the first opportunity that some of the students have to do something on their own. And it is very, very important that they do that um, because they are going to be the ones who are responsible for the aid that they receive. And they need to understand that going in. Ms. Scott, you had something to say? Oh, well, we have a question from downstairs. Oh, OK. We have people downstairs? Mm -hmm. OK. That's All right, too. we got a, OK. All right, you can, you can go ahead. So I can read this person's writing, so you go ahead. Yes. Um, with uh, older students, if, you, if your financial aid does not take care of all your classes, you miss your deadline to pay, will you jeopardize financial aid for upcoming semesters? Because I know your debt must be paid before you enter the next semester. You would not really jeopardize the aid that you are entitled to, but an institution will state that you can't register for an upcoming semester if you have a prior debt. So That's if you right. have a prior debt from a previous semester, I would suggest that you speak with the financial aid office to see if they have some funds or if they can provide you with some outside resources to cover that prior balance. Let me, let me just throw this in while you, let me just throw in another thing real quick. Parents, and two, at least two of the people up here mentioned it, when your young people go to college, tell them to, 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 to get off to a good start. Because if they have a poor first year, it's hard to bring that average up. And so a lot of young people, they go to school and they party because it's their first freedom, and they party and then they, you know, the, the average is low, and they can't, and it's almost impossible to bring it up. The other thing, the reason why I mention that to that, that is that we've had, I've talked to two people uh, this week, who who had young people at a college, and the college gave them a scholarship. One lady, 
The college had given her daughter a $6,000 scholarship. The tuition was, I mean, the, the cost of the college was like 20000 They had given her a $6,000 scholarship for four years in a row. The daughter goes to the college, uh, does not make the grade point average that she had. had that's, why, that's another reason. You've got to keep up with certain averages in some of these things. And then she wanted to come, when the daughter was supposed to get at least a 3.0, girlfriend had a 2.1. And then the parent thinks the congressman who can work miracles and get to college to wave that thing. And I said, no, I can't do it. And, I, and, and we get that all the time. When these colleges give these, and do you, you realize what she did? That girl just took 20, I'm, it's 18,000, because she got the six. $18,000 because girlfriend was partying. I mean, think about that. That's a lot of money. And so, um, and that happens all the time. Young people go to college, they think they can party hardy the first year, they lose the scholarships, and then, and that's another reason why they come back home. So I just want, I just want to let y'all know that. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, would um, a student uh, be eligible for scholarships uh, if they attend a community college for one year? as opposed to graduating. No, you go ahead, give it. If, yeah. if you fill out the paperwork, then yes, that student in there, whatever the criteria is, then you would be eligible. One of the things about a community college is we love all of our students. Some of them will stay and get their degree, which we're working on now based on President Obama's completion initiative for students to finish what they said they were going to do, finish what they start. But many students leave a community college after one year, not for bad reasons, but because it may be a limited enrollment program at another four-year institution. And so it really is in that student's best interest, perhaps, to transfer into okay. that, that program. Okay. I was just going to add that for Maryland Higher Education Commission scholarships, the student must be a degree-seeking student in an eligible program, which would generally be going towards an associate degree. Okay. There's nothing that says they have to achieve that associate's degree, but they must at least be attempting to seek one or at least move on to a bachelor's degree at a four-year institution. So they must be seeking a degree. There are many, many students who, for one reason or another, do not complete that degree. Okay. So, all right, thank you. Now, let me just go back. I want to ask the panel a question that just came in. But um, I, I, I want to the panel to, to ask somebody on this panel to answer this. I'm noticing a trend that I really do not like. And it's a very expensive trend. Where, when I was going through school, you did college in four years. We got people now talking about five and six. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. I mean, think about what I just said. If you go into a 20,000, let's say 20,000, and that's cheap now, but it's $20,000 college a year, let's say 30, and then the person has to take an extra year or two, that's a lot of money. We need to get in our youngsters' minds, you're going to do this in four years. I mean, we got to think that way because I think some kids go to school saying to themselves, well, I got six years. Well, you might have six years, but your parents don't have that other two years of money. I mean, and, we, and parents, you're laughing. 
But can some of the panelists talk about that? Because I noticed that, that now they figure, they say, well, uh, somebody's a, successful if they graduated in six years. Six years, you could be, have your master's. I would say as of July 1st, 2011, with the new program integrity rules, for federal financial aid, we are now monitoring more than ever the grade point averages and the number of credits that students are completing. So this is also a part of the president's initiative that you finish what you start. So gone are the years where you can play around as a in your first semester or second semester as a freshman, come back and still be a freshman and still receive federal aid. No, you really have to get it together. If you're supposed to complete 30 credits as a first year or as a freshman, you need to do so and you need to have above that 2.0 grade point average or the Pell Grant, SCOG, institutional aid, you will not be able to receive that until you achieve that grade point average and those 30 credits. Yeah, yeah. For the majority of the Higher Education Commission scholarships, there is a four-year limit. Only in cases where there is a program that requires an additional year might the student be considered for an additional year, but that's not even a guarantee. So we do expect them to get out in four years. Ms. Quinn? So let, let me just add, let me stress to parents that one of the trends that is troubling to us in admissions is GPAs are decreasing in terms of applications submitted, which means high schools are allowing students to graduate ill-prepared. And we see that with students arriving on campus because every student is test, every student that, that is admitted commits to the institution is tested to make sure they're placed in classes they can handle that first year. GPAs have dropped. Students are allowed to graduate ill-prepared. They learn that they have two extra years to play around with. So parents don't wait until it's time to transition from high school to college. Get very involved in that high school process. Pay attention to those grades. Pay attention to the academic development of your student that is um, continuing. But those students are actually exiting high school, not truly prepared as they should be. And the college is not necessarily in the best position to develop as we want to when the student has to be somewhat nurtured a little more when they should have received that nurturing in high school. I wanted to also address, I'm, I'm from the old school. You know, time is money and money is time. And there never seems to be enough of either one. And there have been occasions at the community college where a student did not use their resources, come to see their advisor, and they ended up having 120 credits at the community college. It takes 60, sometimes 64, if the student is in a life sciences program or engineering where they have heavy math or a lot of sciences, but basically 60 credits to graduate with an associate's degree. It takes 120 credits. In case you didn't know, you need to start calculating now to get your bachelor's degree. So your associates is half of your bachelor's degree. Students say, well, when I finish and get my associates, do I have to take some classes all over again? You should be going, should be going in with junior status when you go to a four-year institution. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to randomly just take courses. You want to come up with a plan 
decide where you want to transfer. Sometimes you may not know what you want to do in life, but everyone has to take those general education courses at math, at history, um, things of that nature. Those are things that everybody needs. And everything is calculated in your GPA. Students who take developmental courses, some people will call them remedial courses, college prep, whatever you want to call them, whatever the buzz term is, those grades are calculated into the GPA. And students are shocked and appalled when they find that they, their GPA is not up to par, that it puts them in financial aid restriction. So it puts them on academic restriction, it's a double whammy, and then financial aid restriction as well. So do the very best that you can do, and if you need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. Yeah, what, and you know, what, what she's saying is too, is you gotta, you had, somebody said you had to, you had to plan for success. Success just doesn't come, you gotta plan it. And so, and a little bit of planning can, can save you a lot of money. This is a question from downstairs. I need to ask this. It's, I think I'm just going to read what's written here. And Ms. Scott, this is directed to, towards you. Was the $9,000 maximum grant amount that Ms. Scott mentioned only for public schools? I ask this because the representative seems, the representative seems to indicate grant amounts that exceeded $9,000. And then there's another question that says, do you have any specific advice for high school juniors or their parents? Ms. Oh, Scott, you okay. first, because it was. Okay. The $9,000 was between the federal Pell Grant and the Supplemental Education Opportunity Grant. And those are federal funds that can be used at public and private institutions. I think what they may have been adding was with the state scholarship money and those funds from the state scholarship administration would also be for public or private Maryland schools and those funds can exceed the $9,000. So it could be a situation where a student could receive the Pell Grant, the supplemental grant and state aid and receive enough to cover the full cost of maybe a Maryland public school. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, thank you. Congressman, and thank you, panelists. This is a great uh, evening. I appreciate it. I wanted to ask about um, early admissions programs and what your advice is about those in terms of a strategy for funding your child's education. Do you limit yourself with the um, options for uh, scholarship and programs if you lock in early in early admissions? No, <laughs> at least not with Morgan. You, you would, if anything, increase your um, chances to possibly receive additional funding um, with some of those early admission programs. Um, you do want to do everything as early as possible, um, but no, you, you would not cause yourself any harm. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, um, again, um, we want to wish our young people um, much success. And let me just leave you with this thought. Um, if, you think, if you think about what are the things that a person can do in life to help them to have a better life? There is, I don't care what you think about. Education is number one. I don't care how you look at it. And so what we gotta do, as I said to a crowd of people the other day, we can have all the opportunities we want. But if we're not educated, we can't take advantage of them. And so, Again, we, our office is open to do everything in our power to help you out. 
Um, the, the booths will stay open until 8 o'clock, so you got a whole 25, almost 30 minutes. The panelists are going to uh, hang around for a little while, particularly Ms. Urbanski. And, um, <laughs> and uh, again, may God bless you all, and may God bless our children's journeys. Thank you. Panelists, before you leave, could I ask a quick question? Do you have any sources, oh, recommendations? That. That's okay. For parents who are middle of the road and may not qualify for some of these need-based programs? Anybody? Apply anyway. You okay. never know what you might be eligible for, so by not applying, you're automatically keeping yourself out. And there are a lot of opportunities out there. You just need to look for all of them. Um, and contact the school. <laughs> I, it's okay. I would add, look at the private scholarships, not just ours, because many private scholarships are merit-based as well as need-based, and it allows in other groups of people. So, you know, do that search too. Thank you all.